0: Really delighted to welcome onto this week's GRM podcast, Barry Rudden from Globalization Partners. And Barry and I are gonna be talking about how the shift from office to hybrid to remote has affected how employers are looking at their talent strategies through a more global lens and how by working with uh, EORs, Employers of Record, we can actually hire people faster and quicker without the complications of setting up in different countries ourselves. It's a really fascinating insight into some of the conversations we could not possibly should be having with employers uh, about their talent strategies. Um, EOR is here to stay and Barry explains a lot more about it than that we all need to understand. So a massive welcome to the TRM podcast to Barry Rudden. Barry, thank you for joining us all the way from Dublin. My pleasure,
1: Gordon. Good to see you.
0: Fantastic. So we're going to talk all about global talent. There's no there's no talent shortage if we've got a global uh, global view of the world. And we're going to talk about employers of records. But just for the people who, who maybe don't know you... Um, you work for Globalization Partners. Just, just uh, introduce yourself to to our listeners and uh, tell them a little bit about the journey.
1: Sure. Yeah, happy to do that. So, um, current job title is Global Third Party Director with Globalization Partners, which is quite a mouthful. And maybe we'll <laughs> we might circle back around to that later on and, and just talk about the relevance. But I, I think probably for the audience, which is primarily from a recruitment background, uh, my journey in recruitment. You know, lasted for 22 years and just finished up earlier this year. So um, stop me if you've heard this one before, but uh, I, I kind of fell into recruitment, right? So uh, my particular story was uh, I was with somebody going, this is 1999, you know, black and white days. And um, I was with somebody who was going to a job fair, they were trying to transition out of the uh, public sector. and wanted to see what their opportunities were. I had no particular reason to be there, but tagged along anyway. Stumbled across the Grafton recruitment stand. And um, at that time I was working in software sales. It was like CBT sales. Yeah. So typically IT training stuff and you're them out a CD in the post. Remember those days?
0: I do, yeah. Yeah. Very so excited. got very excited when they came through the door.
1: It did, yeah, exactly. So um, anyway, just happened to ask, hey, what's, you know, what sort of opportunities are out there for somebody like me with my, my experience? And there was, a, there was a chap called Barry Smith understand who I know is a TRN member and so hello to Barry if you're watching or listening and uh, Barry's eyes lit up and he was going IT sales over the phone um, and the context was this is the beginning of the dot-com boom right so he was going have you ever considered recruitment which which I quickly said no who, who does or who has well certainly in those days you, you didn't so anyway um, interviewed and, and, and the rest was history just a. But a quick sort of funny aside, uh, they decided that I should join a couple of days before the Christmas party because Graffin was this massive international company at the time. And they said, may as well meet people socially rather than over the phone. No Zoom in those days. So great opportunity. So I thought, great. Um, what exotic location are they going to bring us to? Because there was people coming from New Zealand and South Africa and Chile and all over Europe and all over Ireland. And I was going, this is incredible, dusting off my passport. Obviously. They brought it to one mile from where I grew up as a kid. <laughs> I mean, clearly, clearly that's what was going to happen. So anyway, despite that crushing blow, I, uh, I, I jumped into the world of recruitment. Fast forward, the main part of my journey uh, is with a company called Sigma Recruitment, who some of your listeners may know. Um, joined in September 2002, six months after they opened. I took a pretty linear approach to the career there for maybe half of it. So you're a recruiter and then you're made team lead manager, associate director, director continued to recruit IT recruitment, right, Um, contract perm. I branched off about halfway through um, and started taking on a lot of the uh, more operational things. So it ended up being, um, I looked after all the contingents and the non-permanent business across all our divisions, but then took on things like our tendering function and uh, the behind the scenes stuff like the contract negotiations and manage our external ITP. Anyway, around our business education that, that that gave me. So um, it's not what people put their hand up for, you know, in a sales organization. But that's that's what it was. Um, <clears throat> but a couple of the key learnings, I suppose, from a recruitment point of view um, and a business point of view over the years. 2009, we did an MBO. So we were part of a small PLC. The, the parent company was in student property. Um, another property and over leveraged and got into trouble. Uh, we had investors lined up, they fell out about eleventh hour um, basically we had to fund it ourselves, and fifty percent of the people in the business at the time actually invested right, right. Um, so they really instilled this founder behavior um, element of sigma a nice little segue then three years later we won from almost going out of business three years later, we won the best um, agency at the National Recruitment Federation Awards. So I thought there was a nice transition and a testament to people in there. Um, the final major thing was we, we took on investment in 2018 from a French organization called Group Adequat. So there are a couple of hundred offices in France that are in Belgium, Netherlands and Canada. And that was a sort of four to five year play in terms of transition. And my plan always had been to um, despite the grey beard, I thought there's there's life in the old dog yet, and I thought you know at, at least explore the opportunity when it comes to the end of that period to either double down and continue or look for the next adventure. So anyway, stars aligned in January of this year afforded me the opportunity to uh, to take that leap, um, and I did so and exited in at the end of March uh, and started my new adventure with uh, with Globalization Partners in August. So uh, two months two months ago as we speak.
0: Brilliant. Brilliant. Absolutely. Um, so, twenty years, and, and what I love about this is actually you—you'll uh, be looking at uh, uh, employer record from a from a recruiter's point of view, from a recruiter's m- mindset. So, let's just—we'll we'll touch on on globalization partners, but just the employer of record, which again is a, is is like many things, is not a title that uh, if you've never heard of it, you naturally think, okay, I get exactly what it is. It is mm. what it says on the tin. Just, just, just give us a brief history of employer record.
1: Yeah, well, even to establish what it is first. So an, an employer of record very simply allows a company to hire talent in a different country without the need to set up an entity there. So if we, we took TRN as an example, you identify somebody in Italy that you want to bring in as part of the team, but you know you don't have an entity set up there. You come to, you come to us, you come to Globalization Partners, and we already have an entity set up so we can issue a locally uh, compliant contract, process the payroll, process any benefits um, and then set up everything from HR, legal, tax perspective in the background. And you just get on with the, the business of managing that person on a daily basis. Right. So, you know, one of our taglines is hire anyone anywhere quickly and efficiently. And that's what it does. We become the legal employer. You get on with the business of managing the person on a daily basis. And that's really simplistically what the uh, what the sector is.
0: Yeah. And in terms of its journey, how has it been around um...
1: Yeah, well, that's an interest. So it probably ties in with the history of, of globalization, or GP, as I'm going to call it for brevity from, from now on. So um, like 10 years ago, um, our uh, executive chair and former CEO, Nicole Sahin, she essentially pioneered in the industry and has kind of been leading out ever since. So it, the history of it is that in the last three to five years, even the last two to three years, it's become a much more uh, competitive Marketplace or, or crowded marketplace. There's a lot of lot of entrance. So I mean, a sure sign of a good growing industry sector when there's a lots of lots of new entrants, lots of money being pumped um, into it. So um, if you looked at the sector five years ago, it looks you know extremely extremely different um, to now. Um, and maybe I mean just to give you the sort of context. I mean, I say we, we're leading out in the in the sector ever since. I would say that, wouldn't I? Um, but uh, Externally, there's a couple of um, sort of major reviews of the sector, right? So there's a, a crowd called Nelson Hall, they essentially do that, um, and they've been the the main one in the sector, and they've, they've just recently published their the most recent report. Um, also, Everest Group, I think in yeah, the last yeah. week or, or ten days, have done that, and, and they assess all the the, the movers and players in, in the market. And look, I'm glad to say they've both put GP right up in the top right of the top right quadrant of their. Um, of their analysis of the market.
0: Brilliant. So, so, let's just put ourselves in the shoes of the employee of the employer, because obviously, um, the global, global view of the talent market has, has continued to evolve. Uh, COVID, the shift to remote working, all these all these things mm-hmm. have have accelerated that. Um, if, if I'm an employer looking to go into a new market, what mm-hmm. what what typically are the are the, are the sort of key hires that I'd be looking to first? Uh, look towards when make, to make the move?
1: Yeah, I suppose it depends on, uh, on on what level you're looking to enter that market. Um, but before everything, look, you've got to do the things like, you know, have the, your very strong hiring strategy in place and making sure that you know, your core values are very, are very clear because, you know, your first hires in your market, they're really going to set that tone, aren't they, in terms of the sort of local company culture and so on. But... If you're looking to just add, we'll say a software developer, that's a very different thing than looking at a regional head of sales. So if we if we take the four or the, or the latter rather, a regional head of sales, you're going to um, need to look for somebody who is going to be able to live those those sort of values because anybody coming behind is going to look at them for their behavioural cues, right? Um, one of the hacks that that I suppose the shortcuts to to potential success for people is if they can look at expats, if they can look at somebody maybe an internal company transfer, so. We do a lot of that in GP, you've got somebody in country A, you're looking to expand into this, this region and you know, we can put them on our, our, um, our platform. Um, so that can be better because they already know the culture, they already know the values, the communication channels are already opened up. They're probably gonna be a senior person so that you can just, you know, they need less handholding and, and supervision. But if that's not the case, and a lot of companies, let's face it, don't have, have people who can sort of step into that. You're gonna be looking more at utility players so what I mean by that somebody who can wear multiple hats right so somebody who can operate outside the confines of their their core job description whatever that is right somebody who's a problem solver somebody with that track record of yeah i can i can deal with obstacles as they come along but also probably somebody who's going to be quite good from a social perspective, you know, their social skills because invariably you're in a new region, a new market, whatever it is, you're going to have multiple different stakeholders, right? So it needs to be somebody who's not just a core expert at doing their job, they're going to need to, that that other part. And, and look, those two things, um, you know, the social skills and the problem solving. I mean, there are good signs of growth potential within an individual anyway, right? Um, so I'd say those are, are particularly important, as I said, outside the confines of what their their, their core uh, job is. The other thing as well is, is the whole diversity aspect of things. I mean, there's so much evidence that, moving from a homogenous, hey, this is how we do everything at head office and in this country, I'm bringing in that element of diversity, diversity of thought, diversity of experience. Obviously somebody who maybe knows a little bit more about the local sort of culture and the business environment and all that, that's that's good as well. So there's, there's a lot of elements there, but if you're looking at that sort of key principle, door opener, um, hire, that's the type of thing you wanna be thinking about.
0: And again, going back to the employer, when when we look at the people that are working with globalization partners or employees of record typically is that an employer who's saying strategically i want to move into this region or is it more the shift towards remote working saying i don't really mind too much where they work and here's somebody who's amazing over in uh, over in dubai let's say and mm. but i don't want to set up what what what's the balance people
1: yeah it's a mixed bag right so so previously it would have been um You know, a a mixture of that. So somebody who has identified, yes, the next part of our growth strategy is we want to go into LATAM, right? Um, And in some cases, they would say, right, I've identified an individual. And then, you know, they engage us to go, look, we don't have a network there. Yeah. Introduce, or you know, can can we use your platform? And and so that's pretty straightforward. The other part then is sometimes they, they say, hey, we're pretty sure we want to expand into this region, but we don't. We don't know, we don't have any network there. Um, We're going to, uh, we're going to, you know, can you help us out? And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we ended up establishing a a global network of recruiters actually um, to kind of support us. So we can then put them in touch with those and identify that talent. Sometimes it's opportunistic, right? So sometimes it's it's coming to a client and going, hey, you're in this region here. We're finding it really difficult to access talent. Um, but we've identified that there's this pool of talent over here. And yes, I don't know. You know, I know you don't have an entity there, but hey, here's the solution. So you can tap into the talent that you want, um, and that you know you can you can try out that market, generate revenue, and so on, and then ultimately make a decision that you maybe want to set up your own entity there. So it's a, it's a kind of a it's a, it's a mix. So part of it is is yes, embracing hybrid remote working, uh, part of it is very intentional, we're going after that market, and, and some of it is just um, opportunistic.
0: And when it comes to the candidate then, um, the sort of expectations on benefits and compensation package in, in, in different countries, how do, how, do, how do people become aware of, of, of the way it works, what's available?
1: Yeah, that's, uh, so that's a pretty interesting one from from our perspective, right? So so we we have this global employment platform, so it's a, you know, it's a it's a, a full stack uh, platform that we deliver all our services through. And one of the aspects of that is actually a benefits um, a benefits dashboard, right? So so in our case, what that does is it gives clients um, a, um, access to what are the best supplemental benefits for whatever region they're looking for in the world, right? So you know, ours is a big. Um, risk management play. So we'll say, hey, here's the the standard obligatory um, statutory benefits that you need to provide. But if you want to be competitive in this country, in this job function, in, in this sector, here are the other things that you're going to need to consider, right? Um, and then they can cost it up and make a more sort of informed decision. But what's what's kind of interesting about it is you've got your, your base level of, hey, salary needs to be this and maybe bonuses and, and so on. But... Um, it's the slightly less tangible things that are coming into focus now, like across the board um, that people are more interested in. So it's things like professional growth opportunities. You know, what is the company going to do in terms of investing in my upskilling or reskilling? And, and is, there a, is there a commitment to long-term investment um, in my career? Uh, so that's as important for a lot of people, especially for a newer generation of mm. people coming through. Right. So for them, it's not the conversation about pension. It's, it's th- this other stuff. There is, uh, we're seeing a lot in terms of the whole work life balancing and making sure people are well set up with things like, um, you know, mental health supports, mm. and things that look, here's one real quick example. We give everybody access to the, to the CAM app. Right. And I, you know i found that sort of quite beneficial actually i should have used it last night when my dog was barking from half 3 to half 5 but anyway that's maybe for didn't another work. podcast it
0: didn't
1: right? work. yeah yeah um and then the final thing i suppose is there, there's a lot more focus on you know purpose and csr mm. so a lot of a lot of candidates are looking for what is my company doing in terms of um giving back to community and society at large? And is there an opportunity for me to give back? Do I get any time off um, during the year? So the shift has moved from, yes, you have that baseline of those tangible benefits that we've always had, but it's now, um, I suppose, much more holistic um, than the traditional salary, bonus and pension. Mm. The conversation has moved on.
0: Yeah, definitely. You know, when it comes to, um, obviously, your platform, uh, has contributed to or has enabled people to, to more people to work remotely than, than, than ever before. A lot of your employers must have question marks about productivity when it comes to remote working. what What evidence have you got or what are you seeing in terms of how employers are, are dealing with that or managing that? Yeah,
1: look, I suppose the, the balance of evidence is that it has actually you know where you're talking about hybrid or fully remote um, that it's it's generally improved. Productivity, but so was first, you know, we need to be sure that we're we're measuring productivity correctly, and it has to be at the output level, not the input level, right? So very clear, you know, KPIs or very clear instructions in terms so that you're actually measuring um, what people are doing rather than what time they're spending in front of their PCs remotely. Yeah, um, one really interesting one that I saw was the suggestion that the only people who should have access to how long somebody is working. It's actually your wellness team okay. to make sure that people aren't being burnt out. You know? Nobody mm-hmm. um, else should see it. And and nobody else. So your managers, you know, the the, the people who are driving the work product, they should they shouldn't see it. Just your wellness team. And I, you know, I kind of like that. But um I give you something anecdotal. I was at an event last week with a lot of HR leaders, and this whole question came up about productivity and the hybrid workplace and, and so on. And the really strong consensus was people got more stuff done remotely, just factually. They said, hey, one person said, I know that I'll get my work done. And what was what was more interesting for me was they said that um, there was this complete acceptance that when you're in the office, you're going to get less done. and they were, But they were okay with that. They were kind of going, well, look, I know I'm going to get more distractions. I know there's going to be more people wanting to talk to me. Uh, but that's okay because they were looking at... Um, the benefits of that social capital, you know, Mm -hmm. that you're building that little bit up and, you know, some of them are going, look, I know I'm not going to be as productive there, but I can make up for it then when I'm working remotely. So Mm -hmm. um, that's, that was, I thought that was quite interesting and, and instructive. And in our experience, then if you're looking at the fully remote thing in terms of productivity, if you give people that option to work from anywhere, typically they're going to choose you know if they're not don't have that restrictions around location yeah. typically they're going to choose somewhere where they know they're going to be happy right so if that's moving close to family or some sort of support network or the move to the west coast of ireland which is gorgeous right um something like that you know happy employees are going to be uh, more productive employees in general and that's that's kind of what we're seeing and then if you you combine that finally with you know looking at a lot of these productivity apps that are coming out to, to kind of facilitate remote work. I think it's, you know, the, the trend will continue to be upwards in terms of productivity for, for, for those models.
0: Yeah. And again, what do you see when it comes to workplace culture um, with with the continued trend towards remote working? Because it seems to come and, back, come and go.
1: Yeah, it's, I suppose it's an interesting one. I mean, there's, you know, there could be challenges for those companies who, have moved from fully in office to fully remote, but I'm not really sure how many of those are are left nowadays. I think there's been a transition, but like again, we're seeing, and there will be a lot of evidence, both anecdotally and and sort of research wise, that it has had a positive effect. So you know, the likes of Gartner have done a lot of work into this, and Harvard, and and, and so on. And I think at a base level, the the whole sort of flexibility aspect, you know, that helps with the work life balance thing, mm-hmm. so people aren't Fitting their life around work—it's kind of reversed a little bit. But I think, in terms of, you do need to work at it. Okay, so if I think of a couple of sort of quick suggestions, I think recognizing firstly that that social—I mentioned social capital already, right? So recognizing that a lot of that has been, you know, lost by people not being in the in the office a, a, a lot of the time. Companies definitely need to think differently about how they socialize. Right. So um, if you give you a real simple example from our, our own company, we have the Donut app. I don't know if you know it, but it's linked into our, our Slack. Chat. I think it introduces you to two people in the business who you don't know, like we're 1300 people. So, you know, you're not going to get to know everybody. And in my experience, you end up chatting for the first couple of minutes. Hey, what do you do? What do you do? And, you know, you fit the puzzle together. But then you spend the rest of the time getting to understand the individual you know what's what's the human you know what are you into are you into music are you into football into whatever um and i've i find that really good in terms of that cultural piece and it, it's a it's a very gentle prompt and, and, mm. and all that um and the other example i would say is that a real simple one as well that some people have done is they've reimagined the whole sort of town hall or the all hands meetings you know so they these have gone from things that have been what, every month or six weeks, and it's a CEO throwing information at you. And they've changed the kind of the cadence of that Mm. to be more regular, way more interactive, lots of people get involved, keep the chat open. So, you know, it's helping to build a culture of us. We're all in this together. We all get to contribute and all that. And those are two like real simple sort of Mm. things. But I'd, I'd summarize it by saying, you know, hybrid and remote, models from what we can see can definitely enhance or at least protect your company culture but it just doesn't happen by osmosis you have to be really intentional about it
0: yeah no i think it's a real fancy I, I, I was running a three-day event last week in geneva for a global organization we flew in 100 people from around the world uh and, and nobody will ever convince me that the 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 way they left the relationships they would built after three days um and the ideas that we debated and discussed Uh, Could it be done as well remotely? No, no, nobody will convince me. So it it is finding the balance and getting that experience right for the right right people. And actually, in our our own business, you know, we're a small team. There's about sixteen of us. We've just um, having been fully remote, we left our office in COVID. We've now built, we've bought a hub, so we're going to hop and drop in as much or as little as you want. Totally flexible. But but when you do it, it's it's quite special. No, it's really interesting. What do you think? what is the future um, mo- moving forward? Because obviously we've uh, come out of this extraordinary period of the pandemic or the most extreme, extreme of the pandemic, hopefully but hopefully mm. behind us. Um, we continue digitalization of what we do, how we work. What, do, what are you anticipating to be the, the future? Is it just more and more remote?
1: Well, look. I suppose there's people who spend their whole lives on this, isn't it? The future of work, and uh, I'm sure you've had experts in this on on yeah. your podcast. They seem to charge. I've
0: noticed speakers who are futurologists, but they are the most expensive when it comes to charging you. I've noticed that. Good. Make a note of that. Future, yeah, and they're um, talking about something expert. that you can say is not is, is disagree with because it's um it's not happened yet.
1: Yeah, precisely. Well, look, I'll, I'll give you my my top word on it. I think the direction of travel on this is is kind of upwards, right? Um. But it's obviously dependent, I think, on particularly your occupation. So I think things like finance and professional service in general, and you know, you can include HR and recruitment and you know, element of sales and all that sort of stuff in there and IT. In other words, I think a lot of knowledge-based workers are going to continue to have opportunities um, and will be the main beneficiaries of you know the continuation of hybrid and remote work um stuff. Going back to that event it was at last week, there was a lot of people there from the medical device industry, right? So um, a lot of their workers, highly educated, You know, typically we think of knowledge workers, we think of highly educated, well-paid, all that sort of stuff. The reality is an awful lot of them cannot do the hybrid or the remote work thing because they need to be in, it's a high touch thing. So I think the opportunities is not evenly distributed um, for that, Um, but I think what it's going to continue to do is to create opportunities and be more inclusive for certain cohorts right so if you think about the, you know women in particular have been you know disproportionately um uh, affected by you know lack of promotions due to hey you have to move to this head office to do that and you know for all sorts of hmm. um life reasons maybe that wasn't that wasn't you know possible for them this has really leveled the playing field for that and and there was one brilliant example i thought anyway from from last week talked to a uh, provider of ours, who has, um, they have a platform technology play. It's kind of an aggregator for the recruitment industry. And they have loads of recruiters. Uh, this is in the APAC region, re- recruiters uh, buying into this. And they did an analysis and turns out that something like 85 or 90% of the people who, the recruiters who use it are women. And they're from, they're not from the high street brands. They're from like tier two agencies. And what this enabled them to do was work in a hybrid, typically not in the major urban hubs, but could do their job through this uh, through this technology platform and access to that. And um, I thought it was I thought it was fascinating with that brilliant intersection of technology and the benefits of hybrid work, enabling this whole cohort of, of women who may not necessarily have been able to do that if they had to be attending an office uh, yeah. all the time. So I thought that was, I thought that was fascinating. Um, no, and then this was the yeah. final thing is, I think there'll be a lot of, I think there'll be a huge amount of innovation around in the whole sort of global employment space, you know, which obviously we occupy. So cater for things like digital nomadism and the gig economy and so on. Um, and I think the winners will be those who really focus on it with a, a big sort of compliant Mm. Solution. Um, so, I think those are some of the things that's that's how it'll yeah. transition over. No, to that,
0: that all makes sense, and it does. As, as you're talking, I'm just thinking it just goes back to this whole workforce planning and thinking about a long-term talent solution in this ever-changing world. Um, and you know, and, and some of those opportunities that you've talked about, like um, um, like women not going in, into the workplace, and the increased focus on on diverse diversity and inclusion. It, it just the momentum is going to carry on, but unless we're having a discussion strategically about our organization, what we want to deliver and therefore the right talent solution and talent strategy and, and the workforce planning, we we too many organizations won't be thinking about this stuff.
1: Um, I, I agree with you. And, and it, it probably brings in the whole, I know it's a particular uh, love of yours in terms of talent intelligence. Yes. And, you know, that was part of the conversation last week that I was, I was talking about. And I think that, that all comes part of it. And that's like a, be a whole other podcast as well but but i, oh. I agree with you
0: and, and just briefly how 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 can a lot of recruitment business leaders listening listen, listen to this how do uh, how could should um recruitment agencies work with employers of records and, and people like globalization partners
1: well I, th- I think the first thing is we have a job of work to do on our side of the fence to to actually educate the recruitment sector more about eor honestly I was, you know, 22 years in recruitment and I was sort of aware a little bit of yeah. the EOR sector. And I think there's a big job to, to do a lot of education there so that, you know, like I can know a lot of the, the TRN members, for example, are likely to be highly consultative, yeah. you know, and and having that piece of information to be able to recognize Hey, this is something I can put in front of my my client to at least introduce the concept to say, right, we can't or we're struggling to get software developers in London, but you know what? We've identified a pool of them in Portugal, and you know, if we were to provide you with a solution where you could access them, even though you don't have a, an entity there, wouldn't that be great? And I think it just will help position recruiters then as trusted advisors to the client. Mm. So that's number one. I think mm. we need to we need to do that and educate the the, the sector uh, a lot more in terms of engaging with us like we've developed out a, um, a fairly significant network of referral partners over the over the last 5 years in particular mm. right um and you know that's been mutually beneficial this is global so we've referred recruitment business through the recruitment partners and they've referred to eor so that's you know it's quid pro quo and that's worked extremely well um it's a channel that we're going to continue to Exploit and, and, and develop. It's done through our partner manager channel. Mm. So, um, but look, I'm always happy to, to talk to recruiters, and we um, I think we've only only scratching the surface of what the possibilities are for sort of both cohorts.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I must speak to fifty recruitment business leaders a week, and um, <clears throat> it it doesn't feature as part of the conversation which is which helps yep. me understand whether whether it's a hot topic or not but 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 equally i did a, an exercise um at our summer retreat and we had 200 recruitment business leaders one of the questions what will the most progressive recruiters be doing better than other people moving forward and it was talking about having a global view internationalization so just having that view is really key. So it just feels like these things are coming together, but but uh, as ever, it's a bit of education. Yeah, I, I
1: think so. And and like what's happening with some recruitment businesses, yeah. they're actually leveraging off the power of the EOR thing themselves. And they're kind of going, hey, we're we're hearing from clients that, you know, in-country presence is, is important to them, especially if they're a multinational client. And some of them have gone and and used an EOR to identify somebody in, country x so it gives them a presence in that region gets them to the opportunity to kind of mm. generate revenue and then you know make a decision on whether they want to then further invest and actually set up an entity there and so on so that's another part and again you know we yeah. need to be better at educating the, the recruitment sector on how that could yeah. work for them as well
0: yeah brilliant be good if you had somebody new recruitment intimately like you Imagine sorry it. it's been um it's been absolutely fantastic. I think there's so much to so much uh, uh, to think about in in this space. Um, so thank you for joining us. You and I are going to be doing a lot more talking in 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 the, in in the months to come because um, I'm really keen to promote this this conversation and this opportunity. And as talent partners, as talent partners to our clients, then we should be looking at all solutions because ultimately we're going to get get what's right for them. So thank you. Really loved it, and uh, we we'll speak again very soon.
1: Great. Thanks, Gordon. My pleasure. We would love to hear your feedback. So please take a moment to rate our podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts.